All right, and we'll start our slideshow. For those of you who know me, what's wrong with this? No Hawaiian shirt. Now, it, this is more subtle than what Craig usually wears, but this is more of a witnessing type of shirt. It says blind faith and has the not sign through it. And we're going to be talking about faith this morning. So I just thought in honor of Craig and uh, to kind of get the message out there, we might start this way. Craig and I were talking the other day and he said, you know, I don't even know when I started wearing these shirts. Of course, if you ever walk into the building, you're going to see them out there. He said, but God just was leading me to express my faith in some way, and and this was a way to do that, where it not only expressed who I am, but it opened doors of communication. And that's what's so critical for us to be able to start conversations that will help people be led to the place of faith. And that's what we want to talk about. So we're in the Galatians sermon series, and this morning we are starting through uh, uh, chapter 3. We're going to be the first half of Galatians chapter 3, and and I title this Faith or Law. Now, we've already been talking about this for the first couple of chapters, and last week Barry talked about Paul's personal experiences and how he was relating that to the idea that we're not Here, by following the law, we're here through faith. And he gave that wonderful illustration of the encounter that he had with Peter. And and I I could tell you that that really encouraged me in some ways, um, both to be more responsive to feedback when I get it, but also to look for ways that I could help another fellow Christian if there is something that I can give to them and not to be shy like I usually am. You know how shy I am, right? I, re- I really am. I'm one of the shyest people in the world. It's just that, that it doesn't show all the time. So Galatians 3, chapter 1, starts off this way. You foolish Galatians. That's always a good way to start a conversation with somebody. You foolish, whatever. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, now the word foolish, there's a lot of different words and. I don't tend to go into the Greek too often. Uh, I used to do that a lot, but new, new preachers do that sometimes. But the word isn't really, hey, you're an idiot and you don't know anything. But it's more like, hey, you know better, but you're acting in a way that doesn't correspond to the things you already know. It's reminiscent of what he talks about in the very first chapter of Galatians, where he said, hey, hey, I'm so astonished that you're quickly falling away from the gospel that was presented to you. And so he kind of picks up that same theme here and says, hey, you know where your faith started. It started because of the portrayal of Christ crucified, that he suffered for you and opened the doors. Then he says, I'd like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And you see, they would have probably said, well, yeah, it, it was through the Holy Spirit's testimony and hearing about Jesus and what he did for you, but, but now it's time to grow up and mature, okay? Now it's time to, to pick on the deeper things and to start getting all of our ducks in a row, right? And Paul say, no, no. The way that you started is the way that you should finish. It's not a matter of saying, oh, I've got forgiveness now through my faith, and now it's time for me 
to put on my bootstraps and get out there and do it. And he's trying to say, no, that, that's not the way that we live out our faith. He says, are you so foolish? Again, that same word. Hey, you know better, but you're just acting in a way that's inappropriate. Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, you are now trying to finish by means of the flesh? You know, when Jesus was ready to to go away, he knows he was going to be crucified and taken from the disciples. He, he said, hey, don't worry about this. When they finally opened their eyes enough to, to hear what he was saying, he said, don't worry about it because I'm going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit, who will help you in all things. And, and as we study in our theology class about the role of the Holy Spirit, one of the things he is to convict the world of sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But he also helps us to see and to believe and to, to basically then live out the life. So the, the power of the Holy Spirit is really the, the means by which we can and do the things that God wants us to do. So there's the power behind us that we don't have ourselves. It's not a matter of us doing and trying. You know, one person said, hey, we're human beings, we're not human doers. We're beings because we exist and that God made us this way and we will live out that life because of who we are. And if we're in Christ Jesus, we're going to live out who we are in a different way than before when we were controlled by the flesh. So he's saying you want to be that person led by the Spirit and not just trying to do everything with your own flesh, with your own abilities and desires. It says, have you experienced so much in vain? The, the word experience, this is the NIV. Other translations will talk about, hey, have you experienced persecution or have you experienced um, struggles or whatever? So have you gone through all these experiences in vain? Because now you want to turn toward, as he said in the first chapter, another gospel. So, so again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you have heard? Now, Romans talks about, hey, how do we find salvation? And he says at one point, hey, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. And what it's saying there, you know, we think of heart as that thing that beats on us. I, I now have a new Fitbit because uh, Kaiser uh, allowed me to get one for free. So I like free. And it tells me my heart rate, whatever I'm doing, right? And so we think about, well, our heart's the thing that pumps the blood. But in reality, in, in the, the ancient world, they, they thought of it as the seat of the soul. That, that's where you not only have your heart beating, but you have your thoughts and emotions and, and your reasoning ability there. So it says, hey, your belief in your heart, it's not just a matter of an emotional connection to God. It's having actual facts behind the scenes. That's why it's not blind faith that we have. Our faith is based upon who God is and what he's revealed to us. There, uh, Craig and I really talk a lot, a lot about apologetics, you know, that we have a, a particular reason why we believe. There's a warrant for our belief. It's not just a matter of, well, I'm just going to hope and go this direction. It's a matter of God has revealed things to us through his creation, through the, the prophecies that was fulfilled, through so many means to show us he's really there and Christ really was his son who rose from the dead. He says, so Abraham, now last week, again, uh, 
There he talked about the experiences that Paul was talking about at the end of chapter 2. Now he's going to go into some scripture. Okay, now the way that Paul utilizes scripture is very interesting. If you look throughout all of it, in fact, if you look through the whole New Testament, how it relates to the Old Testament, it doesn't always say, no, in Habakkuk 3.18 it says, instead it just kind of quotes it, and then the, especially the, the Jewish audience, they would have known where that came from. That, they were so geared in the scripture. And so we're going to see him do that quite often here in this section. It says, so Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Now this is his thesis at this point in time. And we're going to see how the rest of this, he's going to build upon this thesis, saying that it was the faith that Abraham had, the belief that he had, that God counted to him as righteousness. Not the fact that he had to, you know, follow all the law. Of course, that the law that we look at in Deuteronomy wasn't given until Moses came around. But what was this belief that, that, that Abraham held on to? Well, remember, it was the promise of the Son. That him and Sarah were at a very old age. An age when you don't have children, right? And God said, you're going to have a son. Now, you could respond a couple of different ways if you're told, hey, you're, you're going to have a child and you're 80 or whatever years old. You're going to say, well, you don't know what you're talking about, right? Or because he recognized who God was and the fact that God made the universe... Having a child at an old age doesn't seem like a hard proposition. So his belief was in the fact that he trusted who God was, but he already knew who God was. He had a warrant for his belief because he had experience with God at that point in time. So it says that it was the fact that he, before it even happened, he trusted that God was going to follow through and be faithful to him in what he was telling him to do. So he said, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. And, and really what he's trying to say is that, you know, the Jews were so proud of the fact that they were offspring of Abraham. They could trace their lineage back. And they would have a lot of genealogies that would follow through. And I don't know if any of you are like that, where you've gone through some point in time and found out who your grandfathers and great-grandfathers and great-great-great-great-great-great, you know, and all up through the thing, Right? I know about two generations, and that's about it. That's, that, that doesn't work for me. But, but for Israel, they wanted to trace it back to Abraham because they said, that is the father of our faith. That's, that's who God chose to be the representative for the whole world, and that's who we are, the blessed ones. And, and what Paul's point is, it's not just that physical lineage that traces back to Abraham that was important. It's the faith that we share with Abraham that brings us into the lineage of who Abraham really was. And of course, what that is, is opening the doors to the Gentiles too. That it's not just those who are Jews by heritage, but it's those who have the heritage of faith who God brings into his family. In verse 8, he says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. If you took the Bethel series, how many of you have taken the Bethel series out there? Okay. And I know they just finished up another one. Tim led another group through there. Um, but one of the big themes is 
that 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 the nations will be blessed. Abraham through Abraham the nations will be blessed. It's the idea of the blessing. But the blessing again isn't through a physical lineage, it was through the faith that Abraham possessed. It says in Genesis twelve three. so again, he's quoting scripture, so we'll just say, hey, what scripture is Paul quoting? He says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. You see, the door was opened up <laughs> to all. He recognized that the blessings weren't just going to, to reside in that one small nation of Israel. That that nation was going to be God's light. And we're going to see in just a minute, it was going to be the means by which salvation comes to the world. He says then in Genesis twelve eighteen or twenty two eighteen, And through your offspring or seed, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, Laura's out there somewhere. Yeah, I'm going to steal a little bit of Laura's thunder from next week because right here that word is a singular and, and really what Paul is pointing out is the seed that we're going to be blessed through is Jesus Christ who was the promised one who would come to pay the penalty of our sin. And so he's going to make that argument really strong next week. At least I think he will. I see it in there. Yeah, she's shaking her head, so it's going to do it. I don't always like you know, stealing people's thunder, but, you know, go with that. But, but really, that's really what he's saying is that this was the means by which God was going to bring salvation for the whole world. That the Savior, the Messiah, was going to come through Abraham and eventually just be that sacrifice for our sins. In fact, all of the trappings that we see in the Hebrew Scripture, in, in the rituals that were done, and all this kind of stuff, was really to point to Jesus. What were the fact that you bring an animal, and hey, I've sinned, so here's the animal, let's kill the animal. Well, that was a symbol of what was going to happen eventually through Jesus, that he was going to die to pay the penalty of that sin. In Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about, hey, we, we had the sacrificial system and we'd have to kill these animals, but hey, that was only temporary. It just We went and sinned some more. We had to do another animal. But Jesus died once and for all. He paid the penalty for all of us for all time. And that's really where the faith comes in. So he says, through Abraham's offspring, all nations will be blessed because you've obeyed me. And that's what God is talking to Abraham about. Verse 9, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You know, I could just see, if, if you studied logic in, in school, if you already have the logical mind, that's kind of, he has the premises up front, and now here's the conclusion. So he had these points in between to try to prove it, but the final point is that those who rely on faith now are blessed in the same way that Abraham was because he was the man of faith. And so it's arguing to the, the churches there in Galatia and to Asia Minor that, hey, you know, the, these Judaizers, Tim talked about that in our first lesson, who, who came in and said, hey, it's great that you accept Jesus, but if you really want to be saved, you have to first be a Jew. You have to go through circumcision, follow the sabbatical law, and follow all the laws, and then you can really be saved. Yeah, he brought you here, but you can't get there unless you add all of this other stuff to it, all the laws that are out there. 
And Paul is saying, hey, no, no, the, you started with this faith. That's what brought you into the kingdom. But, and it's through the faith that we actually live out the life. It's not through trying to produce a bunch of laws or follow the laws that are out there. It's by living out who you are now through faith. You know, Jesus had a lot of encounters with the religious leaders of the time. You can't help but read through much of the gospel at all before you start running into the conflicts he had. And a lot of times it was because he didn't seem to follow the law the way that the Pharisees followed the law. You know, his disciples at one point, you know, they were hungry, so on the Sabbath, they took the grains of wheat and they rubbed it between their fingers to eat it. Oh, that's work. And they had to find, hey, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, so these are all the things that are work, so we can't do those. And yet they found ways to get around them, like, hey, you can't travel more than a certain distance from your possessions, so if they were going to take a trip on the Sabbath, you could put some of your possessions every so often, so you would never be further than that distance they defined from their possessions so they could overcome and do whatever they really wanted to do. And remember what people say about the law? The law was made to be broken. Well, there's always ways to tweak it to get around it. So if you're living by the laws, hey, you just kind of find the exclusions to get around there. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, hey, you're tithing. Yeah, that's great. You're tithing even the dill weed that you grow in your backyard. But you forgot the greater things, the love and the mercy, the compassion that you're supposed to have for each other. So you see, it was the heart of the matter that Jesus was getting back to. But when you follow law, you find a way. Laws and rituals are always going to find ways around them to be the person you really want to be, to live the way you want to live. When you're following me through the Spirit, the Spirit's what's leading you to live the kind of life that God wants you to live. And so Paul's arguing now, hey, wait, stop putting this burden on the Gentiles because guess what? They're already in the family of faith. They're in the lineage of Abraham already. That's what you need to live under, the concept of faith. Verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Deuteronomy 27, 26. And so now he, he's just told you what faith is all about. Hey, that's really what brought us into the kingdom. That's what helps us sustain ourselves. But if you want to go back to the law, guess what? You have to do it perfectly. Because if you violate one little piece you violated the whole thing. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. Well, I know that that just shocks some of you. I mean, growing up in high school, I, I, I went to high school starting in the end of the 60s. And, and if you ever studied or lived through the 60s and 70s, you know what things were like at that point in time. But guess what? I never partook of any of the drugs, alcohol. I lived a fairly mundane life. And part of it was because my, my identity was in my mind, my ability to think and to reason. I didn't want to cloud that up, but I also was scared to death. Now, I was a very compliant person. But even in that, I can go back and look at all the places where I would have violated the law. At least I would have treated people with not kindness, with the opposite of kindness. I would have 
thought, have thoughts in my mind that God didn't want me to have. So, so I mean, I even did things, and I'm not going to tell you what they all are, because then you'll, you'll blackmail me. But, of course, I'm telling the whole world out there. You're on YouTube. You hear it all. all. But, you know, I, I knew I wasn't perfect, even though people could look at me and, and think compared to others, boy, yes, this guy's just living that righteous life, that right-on life. I knew better. I knew inside I was violating. And if I violated even a part of the law, I had violated all of it. So, so this statement here is, it, from Deuteronomy, it really tells the people, guess what? You can't do it. You could try to do it. You could struggle. You could tell people you did it, but you actually can't do it. You can't live a perfect life. You're going to violate it. And once you do that, you are under the curse. You see, that's why Jesus came. That, that was the plan that God had from the beginning. He gave mankind free will because the only way that we could really be expressing love with God is to have the ability to say no. You know, if somebody forces you to love, is that love? To be forced to do something? No. So God gave free will, but he knew that we would violate the law, the, or really the relationship that we had in there. So he made a way of escape, and that was planned from the beginning. You, you, when we study through the Old Testament, we just see how God just prepared the way for Jesus to come. It's just, it's amazing. The, the prophecies, if, you, if you're going to ask me, why do I believe that the, the Bible's not a man-made book, but it, really God behind it? It's the prophecies. We know when most of the scriptures were written, at least a very short time frame window, and you have something like Psalms, that talks about, in detail, the crucifixion that Jesus was going to undergo, and yet crucifixion wasn't even around then. The Romans invented that thing. So, so you see various prophecies out there that point to the fact that, hey, th- this book had to have some kind of other origin other than people just writing it and thinking about it. And of course, there's other things that, that speak of the glory of God, that, that universe and the creation. We could really go into that as far as, hey, this thing couldn't exist forever. You know, Carl Sagan, some of you who, who had the Cosmos series, said the universe is the only thing that's ever been and ever will be, saying that basically it's eternal. But that's impossible because you can't get to here if you have eternity past. You know, think about it for a while. Hey, how many days can you stick between this point of time and, and the past? Or you could keep sticking them forever. So you can never get enough days to get to this day here. You also have a closed system. The universe is a closed system. It's a very large closed system. But guess what? If there was eternity in the past, everything would have been burned up. It, the, all the energy would be gone. So you have to have a beginning. So how do you solve that if you are scientifically minded? Well... You have the Big Bang. That coming out of singularity, now you have to define what that is, all of a sudden the universe blew off and it expanded out and became everything and through evolution and time and chance, everything developed. But I don't know too many things that just pop out of the midair. Otherwise there'd be puppies coming out of the ground here and there, right? It, you have a cause for everything. So, so that's why even if you get to the point to say, hey, yeah, I believe it began and that something created it all and that something was outside of time and space and is very powerful and now we've at least got to the point that there's a God, right? And then from there we have to look at the rest of the whole thing. But, you know, what we're seeing here is that, hey, 
there is a responsibility that we have toward God, but we can't do it all on our own. And so, so for me, as, as a young person, I, I went through all that. I was scientifically minded. I, I, I wanted to kind of understand and believe that stuff, but I had problems. And the only thing that made sense was that God was there. And, and the rest of it started falling in place. And I recognized that the only way that I could, could connect was through faith, that I, I could never do enough because I always felt that guilt, and I needed to have someone or something remove that guilt from me, and that's what Jesus did. And that's really what Paul's point through this whole thing is. You can't do it. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Now, if you've studied a little bit, there are some people that will say, hey, James and Paul, boy, they would get into a fist fight whenever they were together, right? Because Paul's talking about grace and faith, and James is talking about works and law. But that's not exactly true. Uh, James actually uses the illustration from Abraham to say that, hey, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He quoted the same verse. But James's point is, hey, it's faith that brings us into connection with God, but my faith causes a change inside of me. And he's saying, hey, you show me your faith, I'll show you my faith by my actions. In other words, the faith I have will lead me to do things differently. It will lead me to act in a way. And he points out with Abraham, hey, Abraham believed God, but he followed through and did what God told him to do. You see, the actions followed the faith, not the other way around. We don't do good in order to get God's approval. We get God's approval through faith and belief, and then we have now the power through the Holy Spirit to to be a, a different person, to act in a different way than we've ever acted before. So, so James agrees with, with Paul, but he wants to make some other points, is that not only is faith not blind, but it's not dead. It's an action. It's, it causes things inside of us. It causes us to act in a different way. Paul makes that really the same point in Romans, after he talks a lot about faith and grace, and then he says, hey, should we sin that grace might increase? Because we like grace. He said, may it never be. Because we're no longer the same creature we once were. Galatians goes on and it says, Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God. I want to read that again. Clearly no one who tries to rely on the law is justified before God. Because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. And he's quoting from Habakkuk and Leviticus. Now, Habakkuk, that, that's a book that probably you read almost every day, right? Well, well I do read it at least once a year because I have a tendency since 2014 at least to read through the Bible in a year, to, to use the U version and find one of the through-the-year things. I, I can tell you there are days... I don't want to read that section. And some days I miss and I go back and catch up. So I, I have read Habakkuk. I can't tell you much more what's in it. But Paul knew it. Paul knew a lot of what was there because he had studied the scriptures. And, and the point of this is, this is how we live. We don't live because we follow the law in all of its great detail because we can't do it. We live because we continually have faith in God who is the faithful one. Now, Habakkuk's actually, this one scripture is quoted at least three different times. 
uh, twice by Paul and once the writer of Hebrews, who we don't quite know who it is. Our Hebrews class on Sunday mornings, we've been talking about that. But in Romans 1.17, he emphasizes the faith, that the emphasis was on faith. They, the just shall live by faith. In Hebrews, he emphasizes the word live. And here in Galatians, he's really emphasizing the just or the people who are justified, who are us, who live by faith. He goes on and says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. You see, he's now pointing to the fact that that our salvation didn't come through us doing all these works, but it came because Christ took on the penalty of all of our sin at a point in time. And that, that's, our, our, our sin is paid for. It's just a matter of us now accepting it and receiving it. It's interesting to me, as you start to look through that, he talks about curses everyone who's hung on a pole. You know, what, what does that mean? Well, in ancient times, it had a tendency when somebody was executed for whatever reason, they would either lay them out on the ground, but more often than not, kind of hang them on a tree somehow, tie them up or do whatever, as a symbol to say, hey, if you do like this person did, this is your fate. It's a warning at that point in time. And yet, when we see what happens to Jesus, he's not only hung on a pole. Usually, they executed them and then hung them up so that you could be a testimony to everyone. But he was killed on the cross. And as Psalms talks about it, it's amazing. When it says, hey, you pierced my hands and my feet. And you gambled for his clothes. And it's almost a detailed description of the crucifixion that happens much later and that didn't exist at the time that he wrote there. But again, what Paul wants to point out is, hey, Jesus became our curse to pay our penalty so we have now an opportunity to be righteous to God because of faith. Can you say amen to that? That, that is amazing. You know, I, I had lots of problems with guilt. Again, I said, hey, I wasn't out there beating people up or killing people or stealing cars or but I had that guilt experience inside of me. I was always questioning myself. And I was always looking at myself, thinking I didn't add up. And when I saw what Jesus did for me, it just opened the doors to release all of that. I no longer had to live in that guilt that I had built up for myself because he paid the price for me. That's amazing. It says he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So he starts off at the beginning of the section talking about the Spirit. Hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit through works or through faith? And he ends with it, so that the faith that we have, we could receive the promise of the Spirit, which was not only the promise of salvation, but of the Comforter who's with us that helps us now to overcome the difficulties that we experience in life, that he's there with us. Now, that doesn't mean all of our problems go away, right? How many of you have problems? Okay, we have problems, but he's there with us. And a lot of the difficulties we face in life is because of sin that is in the world. That when sin entered in, it corrupted things. It corrupted people. It corrupted the world. It corrupted the world systems. And so we're, we're, we're still having to fight against a lot of that. But he's there with me. And 
You know, the hope that I have, and it's not a blind hope or a hope against hope, is that he is going to return. That, he, that this world that was corrupted by sin is going to be renewed, that we will be resurrected into a new existence. Not, not living, as we've talked about just in this last week on Wednesday night in our theology class, not living as spirits up in heaven, just floating around worshiping God, but that he says he'll create a new heaven and new earth, that he'll rejuvenate things to recreate it without that sin that got entered in through Adam and Eve and really through us as representatives of him. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's all of us through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I, I know that on my own I, I never could, could get to you. That, that sin was such a big part of my life. And that, God, I, I was rebellious from, from following the ways that you had for me. And, and God, I, I recognize now that I could never have done enough or earned enough to, to, to get into your family, but that, God, you knew that and, and that you provided a way of escape. Jesus, I'm so grateful that you came to give your life for mine. And I, I accept it and I thank you for it. And I ask that you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, give me the the ability to live out that life. And I, I pray the same for all who are here, God, that you help us to have minds that are open to the, the leading that you have for us and that you show us, God, how we can overcome this world and the problems that are faced around us so that we can be your representatives to tell others about this great news that you have made a way for us. And I pray, God, now as we leave, that you give us this, this ability now to reach out to others around us, whether it's through T-shirts or whether it's through a conversation we have or, or, or whatever means possible, God, that we might be able to share that good news to give others the opportunity to enter into your family. And I pray in Christ's name, amen. You know, I, I was talking to Gwen a little I think last week about at the end we have our sermon and we used to have psalms and stuff and it's just hard to, to know hey do, do we now get up and leave or what happens there after this but but I just wanted to leave with blessing you and, and to encourage you and, and so I just prayed but I, I want to give you a blessing and not that I'm righteous and I can give you blessings but I just want to say this blessing that that God be with you to empower you to strengthen you to do all that he has for you this coming week and this coming year. In Christ's name, go in with God. God bless. Um.